What's up, film fans? Welcome into the Second Day Film Podcast, the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. It is Wednesday, November 28, 2018, and we are back. The turkey has been carved, the stuffing has been stuffed, and the potatoes have been smashed. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, the founder of the Second Day Film Club, and today I'm very happy to tell everyone to put away the milk cartons, <laughs> take down the flyers, cancel the search parties. Evan Dean is back on the podcast. What's up, man? Hey, man. Yeah, it, uh, it's been a little while. I know that uh, our listeners are probably, their prayers have been answered right now that I have returned to the pod. We talked about it before. It's been, what, maybe a couple months since I've been on. A lot of people know kind of what went down. Late this summer, my apartment flooded. We moved into my mom's for two months. Then we moved into another apartment, and we've had to replace all of our damaged stuff. It's been a long time. The little violin is not visible on the uh, podcast right now. Yeah, it's been a long time, but I'm happy to be back. And since we haven't done this yet, I would like to officially pass the baton to you as pod host. Uh, Obviously, this is your baby, and... You're our most consistent member, right? So it makes more sense for you to be a host. That way, if I can't get on, hopefully it won't be as long of an absence. You know, you could host and bring other people on. For sure. And we saw Sasha come on a couple weeks ago, and we plan to have more people like that. And now everybody out there, you know that Evan is just straight up unreliable. But it's good to have him back. It's good to be back. Uh, We've got a jam-packed show for you today, as both Evan and I will be reviewing some of the things we've been watching Uh, And at the end of the show, we're going to be revealing the subject of sort of a fun segment we have planned for our next show, so stick around for that. But before we get started, we want to tell you all the ways you can get in touch with us. Evan, do you remember all the ways to get in touch with us? Do you want to tell the people? I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, obviously, probably the biggest one is Facebook. Uh, We're also on Twitter. You can also email us. We've also got a website, secondayfilm.com. The email, I believe it's secondayfilm.com. At gmail.com, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Basically, just go on social media and search Second Day Film Podcast. You'll find us. Give us a rating, a like, a follow, whatever. We love to hear from you guys. So, anyways, busy show to get into today. It's the busy holiday season. We've got blockbusters coming out. We've got some of the Oscar contenders coming out. Um, So, sort of a mixture of the big and the small Mm -hmm. going on right now. Uh, I've seen a couple of them. Evan has seen one of the new releases and some (laughs) things he's been watching uh, regrettably, we'll get to that. Uh, but anyways, Evan, start us off. Tell us what you've been watching during your long absence. I'm sure you've been watching tons of stuff, right? Well, no, I mean football season, college hoops. I've got other things I've been watching. I have seen two new releases. One of them you've already talked about, so I'll only touch on that briefly. But I want to start with something that I've continued to watch, because I'm sure there are listeners that are a fan of this, uh, How to Get Away with Murder. And this is the season five mid-season break. You know, shows are doing this now where basically they do half of a season and then you have to wait several wait, months. They wait till after the new year. Exactly. They wait till people have returned from holiday break, this and that. So so right now we're on break. We just got to that point. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about this show in season five. Uh, per usual, this season starts in the future with someone dying. And they don't reveal either... Who killed the victim, who the victim is, or both. And then they gradually work back to that conclusion. That's kind of the show's MO. That's the structure. I've liked this show from the start, but issues of past seasons, particularly season three, if I recall correctly, is it got so tangled, so convoluted, too complicated. I think that 
and I, I talked about that maybe about like half a year or more ago. I think since then they've done a better job of making the plot lines a little more simple, a little easier to follow, easier to remember what's happened. This has been a pretty solid season so far. One thing I did want to talk about is this is a very progressive show. And it's a very kind of for our times, millennials type of show. And what I mean by that is much of the work that Annalise Keating and her students do, it's all in the name of social justice, right? And justice for the poor, justice for minorities. I think the show has a lot to say politically. And that's not necessarily good or bad. It's just clear where the writers stand on social justice issues of our time. Like if you're a conservative far-right Trump guy or girl... This show maybe isn't your thing. It really kind of has firmly planted itself in that far left field, right? And we've seen a lot of shows do that. Um, and we've seen, you know, like Modern Family's done the same thing. Then we've seen Last Man Standing go far right. Uh, in this kind of political time, I, I kind of wanted to get your take. I mean, what do you think about that? I think shows are, are more willing to take stands one way or the other. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I... That's really, I mean, I think that's how you strike a nerve, you know. I think a lot of media goes for things that try and sort of capture the time that they're created in. I mean, I think uh, a show I watch, American Horror Story, not uh, sort of this season, which had dealt with the apocalypse. There's sort of these undertones. I mean, it's about the apocalypse and devils and witches. Yeah. But there's sort of these undertones of like, oh, this is how the apocalypse could be brought on. The season before Cult uh, took place uh, during the election, and it had to do with brainwashing and getting people to think a certain way. So, I mean, I think all shows, I mean, especially now, they want to be very, you know, uh, postmodern and sort of yeah. uh, meta and sort of, give little winks and subtle nods to what's going on in the current climate. Yeah, and I don't think this hits you over the head with it, but it's just clear where they stand and what the narrative they want to to throw at you. My one criticism with this show, and you could say this for a lot of shows, it, it's almost laughable at times just how much drama is constantly unfolding. Like these students, they endure more stress, more death, and escape more horrible situations. Like how they get out of these situations, it's hard to comprehend. It's absurd, and at times I think this is just so out there and unrealistic. But at the end of the day, is that really a fair criticism? There are so many shows where you just kind of have to take how they are. Uh, we talked about a show that Sam and I liked, Riverdale, and I said, if you accept the dumb for what it is and it's a dumb show, you can embrace it and enjoy it. It was too dumb for you. You weren't even able to enjoy it. Yeah, I had 13 episodes in. I'm like close to the end of the first season, and I'm just slugging through it. it yeah. I don't know how you can recommend a bad show. It is absolutely terrible. I'm not going to go off and talk about Riverdale. That's okay. We're on other subjects, but that's a conversation for another day. But I really do not understand how you can like that show. So anyway, moving on. Obviously, you've got uh, a few films that you've seen that are new films. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's How to Get Away with Murder. That's on ABC, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's ABC. It's part of their TGIT, a big lineup. They have Thursday nights. It's the 10 p.m. show. Uh, You know, if you have Xfinity... Uh, or if you have Netflix, this prior seasons are on there. Watch them. It's kind of addicting. Um, and it's a good show. Like I said, it gets a little tangled during the middle seasons, but it's gotten back to, to a good stride now. How to Get Away with Murder also show that the popcorn correspondent Sam Morse has recommended in the mm-hmm. past. So that's two uh, recommendations there from the Second Day Film Club. Uh, the first movie I'm going to talk about is a big blockbuster that came out right around Thanksgiving. It's Fantastic Beasts. The Crimes of Grindelwald. Uh, this is directed by David Yates and written by J.K. Rowling herself, obviously the uh, brilliant author of the original Harry Potter series. This movie stars Eddie Redmayne, Catherine Waterston, Dan Fogler, Alison Sudol, Ezra Miller, Zoe Kravitz, Jude Law, and Johnny Depp, among others. 
The plot summary from IMDb, the second installment of the Fantastic Beasts series set in J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World, featuring the adventures of Magizoologist Newt Scamander. Um, so that actually is a very bare-bones plot summary, um, and the movie actually doesn't really have anything to do with that plot summary, but this movie's kind of a mess. I hate to say it for all you Potterheads out there that anything J.K. Rowling does is, is magic. Um, but is it connected to the Harry Potter well, world? Well, give me a sec okay, here, Dean. Right, give me sorry, a sec. Sorry. I know it's been a while since you've been on the pod here. I'll get there. Um, overstuffed, bloated, unnecessary are a few words I'd use to describe this movie. Mm. Um, it, it, it feels so obviously like a money grab. And I think that's the most disappointing thing because it's written by J.K. Rowling who obviously created this magical world and worldwide phenomenon. And for the most part, I liked the original movies, even though they were done by a lot of different directors. I felt that they were done really well in the spirit of the novels. But this movie, while it's littered with magic, has very little magic of its own. Uh, the script is all over the place. The plot is confusing. There's too many characters. And because of that, they're either underutilized or just pointless. Uh, we go on these awkward tangents with characters through flashbacks or side stories. They don't really go anywhere. Um, we spend time with some characters building them up, and then they'll immediately kill them off. It's like, why did we just waste our time mm. with that? Um, and, and really, it just feels so much like a disappointment because it's J.K. Rowling who's penning this movie. She's, mm -hmm. she's almost sabotaging her own creation. Um, you know, I think there's too much of an effort to set up the next three films in this series, in the Fantastic Beasts series, and there's too much effort to try and connect it to the original series. Uh, they do all these sort of fan service nods to the original series to sort of say, like, the audience, you know, here's a wink because we know you love the original series and we know you're going to get this, but it serves no purpose mm. to the narrative of the actual story they're trying to tell in Fantastic Beasts. Uh, I sort of compare it to the, the Hobbit trilogy that came out uh, after the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which I actually like the Hobbit trilogies for the most part. A lot of people hated it, but they're, they're trying too hard to relate it to the series that people already know. Um, and I really think filmmakers who work in these sort of spin-off uh, trilogies or whatever, they need to realize that it's okay to just do a new story. You know, it's okay to do something different that takes place in the same world but has its own story. You don't have to force these connections to the new film. Uh, the first one, first Fantastic Beast, which I also thought was somewhat of a disappointment, but at least that focuses on the Fantastic Beasts in Fantastic Beasts. It's about the monsters for the most part. There's creatures in this one, but they don't really have anything to do with the main plot. It's just, it's kind of a mess of a movie. I mean, it really is. Have you seen either of these? Have you no, seen the I haven't. I haven't. As I understand it, these are about some of the creatures in the Harry Potter world, right? Well, it's supposed to be. Okay. But uh, I wouldn't say it successfully does that, really. Uh, hmm. they, they really try, and uh, with Grindelwald, who is a character in the original Harry Potter movies, he's briefly mentioned him and Dumbledore. He's part of Dumbledore's past. Okay. So they're trying to show some of that on screen here, but they're not, they won't get into it all because they've got other movies playing. They don't want to give too much away. And I just feel like this movie is held back because they're forcing more movies. And why is that? Because of money, mm -hmm. Evan Dean, and that's really disappointing. Yeah. Uh, Newt Scamander, who is the main character played by Eddie Rain Redmayne, he's not even really in this movie that much. He's 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 not the main character in his own movie. Uh, Redmayne does fine. He sort of feels like he's kind of channeling Stephen Hawking from uh, Theory of Everything, which he won an Academy Award for. He's yeah. like doing this twitchy thing with his face, and he like is awkward with women and doesn't really know what to say. Yeah. It's almost like he's playing the same character. 
But when it comes down to the showdown between him and Grindelwald, played by Johnny Depp, it doesn't feel like he it could even ever come close to matching up with him. You have the main hero, the main villain. They don't feel like they're on the same level. He doesn't feel that heroic. And that's because he doesn't get enough screen time. His character doesn't get developed enough because we're wasting our time with others. There's a twist at the end of this, and it's borderline blasphemy. It's it's really, really disappointing because it feels like J.K. Rowling is compromising her own world for more money. And that is exactly what it feels like. And that's I know that might be harsh, but that's how I feel. There's cool visuals and effects. The creatures look cool. The costumes are great. The production design is great. The world building is top-notch, of course. Um, but this really just feels like a disappointment. I gave it a 5 out of 10, and I only have 9 movies that I've seen this year ranked behind it, and that includes A Wrinkle in Time, Fifty Shades Freed, and <laughs> Rampage. Wow. So I was really disappointed with this movie. I just felt like it was a big miss, and I really feel like they should just stop screwing up these series that we know and love. Did you like the original Fantastic Beasts? I liked it better than this. Yeah. I didn't love that movie, but I felt that that movie was at least a little more focused. It was actually about the beasts. It was actually about Newt Scamander, and it and it sort of set things up, I guess, okay. But this one was just all over the place. Uh, to be clear, because I don't know anything about this, uh, are these these were never based on books. Right? Did she make these? Write these specifically for film? Uh yes. This okay. this script is specifically for for film. Newt Scamander, Fantastic Beasts, and Where to Find Them is a book that Harry Potter reads when he goes to Hogwarts. Okay. So it's like a All textbook. Right. So this t- takes place roughly 80, 70 years before everything we see in that series. Interesting. So that's okay. really the only connection. Okay. And through that very minor detail within the Harry Potter universe, they're trying to create these through strands yeah. to catch us up to the original time when Harry Potter ends up on Privet Drive. And it just doesn't work. Right. It just doesn't. Yeah. So it's probably worth seeing if you're a Harry Potter fan because yeah. the magic is cool. So the world is cool. We get to see the French Ministry of Magic. You know, we get to see more of the world building and that's always fun. But, you know, for the most part, if you're looking at this from a straight movie standpoint, it's kind of a mess. Okay. All right. Well, hey, I've got... Uh... I, I'm bummed I missed the pod. This is a film that you talked about on the solo pod, which I listened I'm to. I'm solo. I'm Ryan solo. <laughs> I listened to, and you likened yourself to Tom Hanks and Castaway, <laughs> floating, meandering in the abyss with only a, a volleyball with blood, a blood painted face. It was either that or your boy Jason Derulo, so it was going one yeah. way or the other. But you already talked about this, um, but I want to talk about a couple things with you. So, A Star is Born, uh, that's a film that I saw just a couple weeks ago. My wife and I went to see it. Um, I won't run through everything about it. People know about this film. And Directed by Bradley Cooper, starring exactly. Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, like the third or fourth remake so of the Third movie. remake, so fourth film, fourth time they've done it. Um, it's been done over the years, over several decades. In, Basically you know, about a romance between a aging country musician and sort of this up and coming. Yeah, he he. They they have a romance. He catapults her. She surpasses him in stardom as his star starts to sink. I go back. Um, I go through that and all the. Uh, if you want to go back and listen yeah, to the old yeah. episode, but um, but obviously I wanted to talk about this a little bit because I um, have some thoughts on it. Obviously, the acting in this is incredible. Um, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. I mean, Lady freaking Gaga. Wasn't she awesome in this? The acting on her end, she's probably the best performance. Uh, the music is just amazing. 
this film, I'd be shocked if it didn't do the major accomplishment of winning both a Grammy and an Oscar, right? I said it could sweep the best original song category. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's so, so good. Um, and, and and there's so much uh, time uh, spent with with camera work so close up to to the characters, and and right that takes a lot of of skill as an actor and or an actress, and they do so well. Um, but what one thing that you kind of take away, I think, if you just know Lady Gaga and her pop music and disco stick and all that bull crap, she's got such an incredible voice. And there's so much else in her songs, so much like bass and beats and techno and all that. When you strip down her, just to just her, she's so good. She's got such a good voice. And you get to see that in uh, in this this film. And see how great she really is. And I did think it was interesting the way in this film her her star kind of catapults. She almost goes into a path of where she is or she where she made her stardom, right? Mm-hmm. With this music that's just like really catchy and doesn't show how good she really is. Um, but one issue that I had, and after after seeing it and then reading about it and reading some reviews of it, I realized I wasn't alone, is uh, how it portrays addiction. Um, without giving away too much, obviously, one of the main characters struggles tremendously uh, with addiction. And specifically, my issue was kind of just how they addressed that, how the character uh, himself addressed that, and how it was almost kind of like just this glamorous way of getting treatment and not really doing anything. And I've read you know, about this a little bit, and people took major issue with how it addressed addiction, and that basically saying that this is not how people who have problems with alcohol or drugs actually handle the problems. This isn't realistic. This isn't what it looks like. Um, so I had an issue with that too because I think they kind of just glossed over that and, and it was like a, a jumping through point to get to a plot point. And the other issue I had, and it's I don't know if I should call it an issue, but it was just disappointment was how it ended. I'm not going to give it away. Um, and I know that, as we said, the film's a third remake, so they're not doing anything different than the other three films. Uh, but it's just so just sad. I mean, it's incredibly sad. And that doesn't mean it was bad. Some of my, I've got some awesome favorite movies that are incredibly sad and in how they end. But it's just really depressing. Uh, all that said, um, I ended up giving it an 8 out of the 10. I thought it was that good. But I did have some issues with those things. I mean, what did you, without so, talking about the ending, I don't know if you did. Well, no, pod. I didn't. I didn't. I thought you said you listened to it. Uh, no, but well, I, I, I listened to I wouldn't you know. say, I would, what I would say to both of your criticisms is I don't think this movie's trying to be a happy movie. Yeah. I think it's literally just trying to, to be like, here's a guy who's got a problem. He knows he has a problem. Yeah. He knows he can't get better. And ultimately, that's what ends up happening at the end of the movie. What 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 happened, or ultimately that causes what happens at the end of the movie. So yeah. those people that want to take those things away, I guess I could see that, but I just don't think the movie really cares about. It's not really a movie about how to fix substance abuse. It's a movie about uh, love and and a career and uh, you know ambition and, yeah. and stuff like that. So um, no, I I didn't really take that. But this movie right now is um, you know, and I see in a lot of odds, it's it's up. Front for Best Picture, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper are both yeah. up for Best Actor, Best Actress, and for Best Director for Bradley Cooper. So, uh, I mean, this movie could end up taking home a lot yeah. of awards come Oscar time, which is obviously approaching quickly. So It was great. I, I like the movie no, a lot, too. I did it's too. in my top ten. Yeah, right it was great. And I, I just, you know, I know that the story was written years and decades ago, and I'm just, you know, it's just one of, you're right, it's one of those films you leave and you're like, man, I feel really sad right now, but... That's kind of how it is. And to be clear, I did listen to that pod, but I didn't listen to that review 
I didn't I didn't know if you were going to talk spoilers or talk too much about it. Same thing with the pod you did with Sasha. I didn't listen to the the first man because I didn't want to spoil it. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, so that's A Star is Born. It's still in theaters right now. It stars Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, getting a lot of positive momentum from that movie. Moving on to some cle- something completely different uh, is a movie I just saw last night, one of two films I just saw last night, actually. Uh, it's The Grinch. Yes, the mean one, Mr. Grinch, uh, directed by Yaro Chaney and Scott Mosier. Um, this movie stars the voice talents, talents of Benedict Cumberbatch, Rashida Jones, Kenan Thompson, Cameron Seeley, and Angela Lansbury, and it's narrated by the one and only Pharrell Williams. Uh, everyone knows the story and the plot, but I'll read it off IMDb uh, anyways. A grumpy Grinch plots to ruin Christmas for the village of Whoville. Um, this is obviously a movie that is based on the 1957 Dr. Seuss book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, a classic. Uh, it's the third screen ad- adaptation of the story, following the television special from 1966, and the live-action feature-length film from 2000 starring Jim Carrey. Um, so, we had the traditional animation, the 1966 yeah. special with Boris Karloff. We had the live-action with Jim Carrey. I guess that means we need a computer-animated Grinch. Uh, I guess that's how we do things these days. Um, but my snarkiness aside, I actually like this movie quite a bit, for the most part. Um, it doesn't really add anything new to the story, uh, outside of a few details, but I think that's okay. Um, you know, some might say that makes it unnecessary or pointless, um, and I could see that argument, um, but it's a cherished Christmas story, and it's pretty good how it is, so why mess with it too much? I think that's one of the criticisms that people had about the Jim Carrey one, is they threw in way too much extra crap, yeah. and it sort of bogged down the magic of the original story. Um, I mentioned the 2000 Jim Carrey version. Uh, naturally, we're going to compare this movie to that one, because it's uh, the feature-length version. It's the only other feature-length version. The TV special is quite short. Um and I actually liked the Jim Carrey one. I didn't dislike it that much. I know a lot of critics hated it. They felt it was sort of eerie and awkward and cold-hearted and kind of dark in tone. This movie is not like that. The okay. Gr- in the Jim Carrey one, the Grinch is sort of grotesque and yucky and has yellow teeth. In this one, he's more cute. He's more endearing and lovable. And I think that's smart for an animated film, for sure. Um... Although, in one scene when he's plotting his plan, he does go full evil mode, and I heard a kid in the audience uh, go, wow, like he was kind of freaked out by how evil the Grinch is, like, evil laughing, and, you know, yeah. Um, so, and he does do some really mean things in the beginning. There's there's this one thing he does when this short who is trying to grab some who hash from the top shelf, and it's the only one left, and she can't quite reach it, so the Grinch grabs it, and... He takes it, and she's like, oh, I need that for my, my pudding. And he's like, oh, okay, and sets it back up there, and then knocks the shelf so it falls down and crashes. So that's how mean this Grinch is in the beginning. Oh, to these, yeah, the Grinch these, is a mean guy. Yeah, so mean. He hates Christmas. Um, and they and they get into a little bit of his backstory, kind of like they did in the, in the uh, Jim Carrey one. Um, the world building is cool. Whoville looks like a place where they actually are crazy about Christmas. They've got everything down to a science with all these cute little gadgets and gizmos and ways that they put up the tree and hang their wreaths and they're selling donuts and coffee and there's sleds and tubes and they have this network of you know like hills that everyone slides down 
they add some new things. Uh, they, they show him sort of using a lot of different gadgets, and they actually answer the question about how he actually could steal Christmas in one night. Um, they add this sort of some cool characters. There's a there's a reindeer character that's added. There's this guy named Bricklebomb, played by Keenan Thompson, who's sort of like this lumberjack guy who lives sort of like halfway up the mountain, so he's the closest who to the Grinch. Mm. And he's he's just you know Keenan Thompson is bringing it back to my Keenan and Kel days. Oh yeah, you know of him just like his boisterous voice and his laughing, and it's just it, it's cool. So I like the added characters. Um, so yeah, it, it was a good movie. I, I thought it was pretty good for the most part. A good uh, sort of tribute or update for to the classic Grinch story. So it's funny that you talk about this because Ash, uh, my wife, at home the other night, I got home um, after work and she had the Jim Carrey Grinch on. So I haven't seen this, but I'm with you on, on the live action Grinch. Uh, I know people hated it, but I thought it was pretty good. And I mean, when watching that movie, the only thing I keep thinking of is... Jim Carrey is just insane. Nobody, and I mean nobody else, could have done that role. As Grinch, he's just wild. He's kind of classic Jim Carrey. He brings some of his kind of Ace Ventura, you know, liar, liar. Just some of his absurdity and hilarity to it. And uh, I, I really liked it. And you're right, though. It was a little bit darker. There are scenes where... You, you know, there there are scenes where it's it's downright, like, creepy. And for kids, you can understand why they might be a little bit scared. Um, so I'm not surprised to hear that in this one, especially as an animation, they go a little bit more uh, cute and cuddly, maybe? No, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, and another thing while I was talking about new things, they, they, um, <clears throat> they give Max, his cute little dog, a lot to do here. And, of course, that just sort of adds to the whole cuteness and endearing thing because mm -hmm. he's, he's a cute little dog and he's his only friend and he... Just wants to be, he's loyal to the Grinch, even though he's this mean guy. Uh, but he's hes a really important and key character in making the Grinch more likable uh, in this. They give him uh, sort of a, a, a backstory or maybe like a, a reason as to why Max becomes the reindeer. You know, in the animated book, they're just like, and he slapped his poor dog, Max. And we find out why he happens. That was a cool thing they added. The animation is great, obviously. It has a really nice message. Uh, there's a sort of added message that has to do with Cindy Lou and her family um, and what her Christmas wish to Santa is. And again, that's a little bit taken from the 2000 live action one. It has to do with, you know, the real meaning of Christmas. But yeah. that goes back to the core of the Dr. Seuss story. Um, I mentioned Pharrell as the, the narrator, so they stick to that sort of storybook. Yeah. Like someone's reading you the story with the rhymes, and I think that's really smart and important to keep it feeling like someone is reading you a story because this is... Obviously, the classic Dr. Seuss story. It should feel like someone's reading a story to their kid before bed or something like that. They add some rhymes and some new writing. Uh, some work better than others, but they keep, you know, some of the classic lines. You know, like, his heart grew three sizes that day, and mm -hmm. there's a light bulb that's not working just right. You know, they, those sort of things, they keep those in there. I think that was smart. Um, there's a couple chuckle-worthy moments. It's not as funny as having, you mentioned how perfect Jim Carrey was in that Great. role. There's some really funny parts with Jim Carrey. Um, I wouldn't say that's, it's as funny, but again, I think that was going for maybe more of an adult audience than sure. this one was. It's worth going to see just to get in the holiday spirit. It's a classic story. And like I said, I don't mind that they didn't add too much. I actually prefer that they stick close to the, the source material and just sort of tell what happened. It's just kind of like an update. Take the family. It's a it's harmless holiday fun. Everyone can enjoy and and get get in the holiday spirit of the season and the Grinch, which is obviously a timeless classic. Yeah. Um, I said on the SD 
FP Facebook page, you know, you're a mean one, but are you a good one? Uh, I would say yes. I gave this a 7 out of 10. Interesting. Uh, I'm curious because there are some a few different studios doing animation now. Uh, this wasn't like a Disney Pixar or anything. No, it's uh, Illumination. So, um, you know, Despicable Me movies... Yep. Um, how to Train Your Dread. Oh no, that's DreamWorks actually. There's a Get few confused, studios yeah. though that have done a lot. Yeah, Illumination. Despicable Me is what Illumination is known for, I believe. Like uh, maybe Secret Life of Pets. I don't know. I get them all. That mixed. sounds right. Yeah. I'm missing. I'm missing a couple of them, but they're the ones with the minions. Sure, sure. So, yeah. yeah, hard to, hard to keep head. all the commuter animated. Uh, sort of creators. I think actually when we get to uh, a movie that you've seen, you thought it was a Disney Pixar, but uh, no, in fact, it is not. But yeah, anyways, that's The Grinch. Go, right. go see it. It'll make you feel good. So next up for me, you just got, let me right there. Um, that's I, what we call a transition. Yeah, that was a good toss. In the news <laughs> business, we'd call that a toss. Mm -hmm. um, so what I saw, I saw this just last night with my wife. Uh came out just before uh, the Thanksgiving holiday, the 2018 film Ralph Breaks the Internet. So um, this is a film that's directed by Phil Johnston and Rich Moore. They actually have a little cameo before the film even starts with the directors, which was kind of interesting. I've never seen that before. Were they talking to the audience saying, yeah. thanks for coming to see yeah. our movie? Yeah, I've seen that before. I dig that. Yeah, it was like, cool. Because it's like, you know, going to your, thanks for coming to the theater to see our movie. And I think that is really cool when they actually tell the audience and they thank them for coming because let's face it. Going to the theater could be considered a lost art these days. So I always appreciate when directors take time to do that. Yeah, so this uh, stars the voice talents of John C. Riley, who plays Wreck-It Ralph, Sarah Silverman, who plays Vanellope. Those are your two main characters. Uh, Gal Gadot, am I saying that right? Gadot? Yeah. Uh, she plays Shank. Uh, um, Jack McBriar uh, is Felix. Jane Lynch is Calhoun. Uh, there's there's a few uh, Raji you know, P Henson, yep. Al Alfred Molina, Alan Tudyk, Ed O'Neill, lots of people. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, um, this is you know a, a pretty big release, and and as you said, it is uh, it's a Disney film, but it's not a Pixar film. So we've seen some of those flicks uh, uh, recently. Not every Disney animation film or even computer animation film is Pixar. Um, so this one obviously is a sequel uh, to the popular Wreck It Ralph. The Plot line here uh, on IMDb. Six years after the events of Wreck-It Ralph, Ralph and Penelope, now friends, discover a Wi-Fi router in their arcade, leading them into a new adventure. So, uh, I, you haven't seen either Wreck-It Ralph, or the first Wreck-It Ralph, or this one. Um, so, a little bit of quick background. The first film takes place in an arcade, and specifically within the games in the arcade. So it's basically entirely spent in the world of video games. You've got some games that are made up for the sake of the film, but you've got a lot of references to very popular arcade films in their day. Pac-Man, Street Fighter, Sonic the Hedgehog, they're all in the first film. Those characters are all in uh, this film as well. They're particularly Zangief, if you were a Street Fighter fan. There's some funny stuff with him in the first film. But this one, as the title would suggest, takes Ralph and Vanellope to the internet. So, a gamer in the arcade breaks the steering wheel for Vanellope's game, which is Sugar Rush which is this game where these cute little, like, candy-covered little girls are racing, and uh, that's kind of the whole theme. So a, an actual real person breaks the, the steering wheel, so they have to get to the Internet to buy a replacement steering wheel 
off of eBay so that the owner of the arcade doesn't scrap Sugar Rush, Vanellope's game. Vanellope and Ralph are now best friends, and they don't want to see her go, you know, they don't want to see her leave, or they don't want to see her not have her game. So the best part about this film is the world the filmmakers have created for the internet. World building, as you described it a couple of times on the pod. There are physical manifestations for everyone and basically everything in the internet. They're in the internet. Uh, to not give too much away, each website is essentially a building in this world that Ralph and Penelope enter. The filmmakers play off everything from social media sites to viral videos to even spam and pop-ups. There's like a physical manifestation for all of those things. It's super clever. Yeah, I see Bill Hader is the pop-up. Yes. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's awesome. It's just a, it's a funny a, a funny character that they have. Uh, it's it's super clever. M- most of all, it's really current. There's just so many references to today, to the internet. It, everybody, whether you're an adult or you're a kid, can relate to this film. If you've spent time on the internet or have a cell phone, you can relate to, you know, what, the, what they're encountering, it's just so spot on. Uh, some other things that I really liked about this, of course, visually, the film's a stunner. No, no surprise there. It looks great. The computer-generated effects, the animation, it's incredible. And again, the world that they're in uh, really gives the animators so much to work with. And it's, it's, it's really cool. Of course, Disney, uh, as usual, does a great job of kind of uh, scattering in jokes that only adults will understand. Have you have you heard of the old arcade game Tapper? Have you ever heard of it? I don't think so. So you basically my time. yeah. So they play off that a lot. That's a game that's that's featured heavily in the first Ralph and in this Ralph. And it's uh, the game itself. You're essentially a bartender that has to serve up root beer to thirsty customers or patrons. And so you can imagine in in the film, uh, in the previous film and this one, the filmmakers have a whole lot of fun with the fact that it's a bar, it's a tavern, and they sell root beer. So there's a lot of adult jokes tied to the characters drinking root beer. And uh, kids, totally over the kids' heads, but for parents or for people like myself or my wife, it's cool to have those moments that they kind of give a nod to the adults in the audience. And Disney does that all the time. Um, The themes in this, they're much simpler. They're much more catered for kids. The film has a lot to say about friendship, being a good friend, what that looks like to be a good friend, and also following your dreams. And not to give too much of a, away, but they have kind of an end goal of what they want, and along the way they realize that maybe their dream is different from where they started when they sought out on this mission. Uh, there were some pretty touching moments in it. But uh, not like the other films. I mean, we're talking like Up and Toy Story 3. I I think I was like literally brought to the verge of tears while watching both of those films. Nothing like that. It's nothing that's going to, at least for me, you know, bring that much emotion in. Uh, But it was still good. Ultimately, again, I thought the best part of the film was when Ralph and Penelope are exploring the internet and what physically that looks like. If you're a fan of Disney princesses like my wife is, you will absolutely love a couple scenes in the yeah, film. I saw that in the trailer. That looks pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, there's some really good uh, there's some really good references to Disney and to some of the characters. Uh, the ending in this was kind of just okay. It wasn't the strongest. It wasn't the worst. But all in all, Disney rarely messes up. They did not here. I gave it 
a seven out of ten. I, I thought eight, maybe. I probably, if I was doing decimals, I'd go seven and a half. But ultimately, I went with a seven. It's a good film. I would recommend it. And uh, I'd recommend you to see both of them because I understand you haven't seen either. Yeah, no, that's uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet. I definitely uh, need to see that and its predecessor, Wreck-It Ralph, especially because I like Disney, I like video games, uh, and I like animation. So <laughs> that triple triple threat should uh, mean that I need to see these movies. But uh, uh, it sounds like another good uh, Disney hit in theaters right now. Yeah, it is. It's good, obviously. I was surprised when I heard you didn't see it. Look, it's not as egregious as me not seeing Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, let's not go down that road. But Wait a sec. Evan did another toss. He just tossed it. That's what we call transitions. Oh. Because the movie I just saw last night, the second half of, of a doubleheader, uh is Overlord, uh, which is a movie directed by Julius Avery and produced by J.J. Abrams. Uh, this has a mostly unknown ensemble cast. Uh, I'll read the names anyways. Giovanna Adepo, Wyatt Russell, Mathilde Olivier, John Majero, Gianni Toffer, Pilo Azbeck, and Bokeem Woodbine. Uh, I wasn't kidding when I said mostly unknown. The plot summary from IMDb. A small group of American soldiers find horror behind em enemy lines on the eve of okay. D-Day. I was wondering why, why that was <laughs> When are you going to bring this back? When yeah. are you going to bring this back? There you go. Uh, so yeah, Saving Private Ryan, obviously the first scene is uh, D-Day. Um, this movie is called Overlord because it takes place during Operation Overlord, which is the code name for the Battle of Normandy or D-Day or Operation Neptune or whatever you want to call it. Uh, when, you know, we invaded France to... Uh, Stop the German war machine. Um, a couple things I liked about this movie. I liked that it jumped right into the story. There was no build-up. There was no, uh, you know, unnecessary cool quote in the beginning. There was no, like, talking or small talk. It was like, right away, we're getting into this adventure. Um, it begins with a speech, a news broadcast, the speech by Dwight Eisenhower when he's like, you are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. You know, the eye of the world is upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. And as this, his original speech is playing, the film opens up and it's just all these planes and, and, uh, and boats heading towards Normandy. It's a really effective way to start this movie. Um, and also, uh, contrarily, the end of the movie... Uh, starts with an actual news radio broadcast talking about, oh, we've made it to the beach. More than two million soldiers have bravely fought their way and are making their way towards Nazi Germany. So, as I just read in that plot summary, this is a pretty wacky, zany movie, but at the start and the end, you have these real sort of linchpins of actual footage from that time okay. period or, or voicing from that actual time period. And I think it's really effective in sort of I don't know, making the movie feel more believable to a certain extent. I think that some of the sequences in this movie are really creative. They're, they're uh, obviously following airborne soldiers the night before the invasion of Normandy. So when they jump out of a plane, it's done really cool. It's sort of like this first-person uh, view of them jumping out of a plane and bombs are exploding everywhere. And uh, it's done at the end. There's, there's a guy running... Uh, from an explosion, and it's just sort of like a shot ahead of him as he's running, and there's this crazy stuff going on in the background. So I think there was some good stuff done uh, with, with that. 
The production design is good. The cinematography is good. It helps create a sort of spooky, eerie atmosphere that these soldiers land in Normandy and they don't really know what's going on. They're not sure what's happening. I think that the, it helps set a good tone and atmosphere for it. But overall, this is kind of a mixed bag of a movie. Um, it's got sort of a B-movie camp feel to it, which, depending whether or not that could be your thing... Um, what do you mean, more specifically? Well, it's it's like the B-movies of the 1980s and 70s, where you're like, the, the, the 50-foot woman, or the... You yeah. know, it's just kind of like that campy horror that's yeah. a little bit like you can laugh at it, even though it's like crazy horror going on. Okay. It's got a B-movie feel to it. Sure. Low-budget sort of sure. B-movie, even though this is a big-budget movie. Um... There's not really an effort to go into deep ideas about war or brotherhood or what it means to be a soldier. You know, it doesn't really go for, for like, you know, the, the blurring the lines of duty and doing what's right. It's more of just kind of like a straightforward, campy horror movie. Um, so it's a horror movie about war. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yes. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it's a little bit unconventional. Well, it's a agree. movie about, they, they encounter, it's, I said it in the plot summary, they yeah. uncover the Nazis doing experiments on people, so yeah. it basically is like a horror movie. Um, but it's set against the, the backdrop of the war. Yeah. And I don't know if this is like a, a, a complaint or anything, but it, it's sort of like, did you ever play Nazi zombies on Call of Duty ever? It's like a mode where you can shoot the Nazi zombies. A lot of people play it. It's almost like if someone made a movie of that. <laughs> this is kind of what it is. Um, you know, and, and it's funny that there's a video game comparison because you got these squad of soldiers that drop out of the sky and they all get scattered. And it ends up being like five or six guys against many. Okay. And that almost just perpetuates the video game feel to it because it's like you got five guys <laughs> going up against an army. You know, yeah. I always thought like in war video games when you're running around and it's like, Oh, it's one guy taking on like sixty, and you just—I you know, thought that was kind of funny how that, that oh, yeah. was always set up. Um, like thousands of men are landing on, or from the air and on the beach, but only somehow only five guys can find their way to this compound. <laughs> no one else stumbles upon it the entire movie. You know, the, the, some of the characters make really questionable decisions. This movie has every army cliche in the book, so even though it's like. Uh, very much not your typical war movie. It has everything that the stereotypical war movie would have. You know, there's cringeworthy lines, like cringeworthy. I couldn't handle, like, you know, that's an order! Or, uh, <laughs> you'll never be a real soldier. Or, uh, well, tell someone, someone tell me what the hell's going on! Or the guy, one guy gets shot and he's like, is it bad? Tell me I'm gonna be okay! Like, how many times have we seen these lines in movies? Hey, 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 shout out, first off. Not, not to cut you off, but shout out to, uh, he, rest in peace, I, what was his name from Full Metal Jacket? Oh, uh, our, uh, Lee Emery. Yeah, yeah. 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 Pretty much every, it sounds like every yeah. Lee Emery Any, line yeah. was in this movie. Yeah, anything that he could ever say. Characters, same thing, super cookie cutty. We've got the, the hardened badass sergeant that's whipping the boys into shape for battle. Mm -hmm. We've got the mysterious corporal who, who joins the squad and is just sort of like this all-around badass who knows what to do at every moment. We've got the, the green, sort of scared, ill-prepared private who proves to be the unlikely hero at the end. We've got the big mouth Italian guy from Brooklyn who's like, Yo Capazzo, you gotta smoke, yo Sarge! You know, we got the beautiful French ally, we've got the, the, the evil Nazi commander, and basically for the most part in this movie, all the Nazis are bad and all the Americans are good. There's no, they're not going for the sort of like, you know, all humans are dynamic. They're going for, no, if you're German, you're bad. If you're American, you're good. So it does feel like kind of like this sort of like almost like a video game. It's, it's just kind of like a fun movie. 
that being said, it's not not entertaining. Like it is entertaining. It's it's a different take on a war movie. You know, it's 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 gory. It's pretty brutal at times, but it's entertaining enough to watch. You know, there's some logistical issues. Like I said, why does no one else wander on the compound? They their whole the MacGuffin of the thing is trying to blow up a radio tower, and it's like, yeah. and they're like, we have to do it, or the, or no one's going to be able to land. The whole mission plans on us is like. Well, there's 160,000 troops hitting the beach. I don't think they're all their lives depend on five dudes taking down a tower. So, I mean, it's kind of silly, but it, it's almost like silly fun. Okay. Um, and, and you know, Evan, that I'm obsessed. You mentioned Saving Private Ryan. It's one of my favorite movies, if not my favorite movie ever. Um, I'm a sucker for all war movies. I love Dunkirk from last year. Those are obviously going for more of a real tone. Yeah. And actually trying to say something. This one's more just using the war as a backdrop and going for a campy B-movie horror film. It's not great, but it's a fun time at the movies. I gave it a 6 out of 10. Yeah, it's interesting that you you kind of drew that comparison at the end there because, you know, for me personally, any movie that's about space or war has to be really good because there are so many movies all the time being made about space and war. And you're right, you've got your more traditional, based in fact, accurate, this is what it actually looked like, like Saving Private Ryan, um, you know, like We Were Soldiers, um, Dunkirk, and then you've got like this, which also, you know, you could also maybe throw Full Metal Jacket, as I mentioned, in the same boat, Inglorious Bastards, movies that use war as more of a backdrop, and that's tough to do that well, right? You know, I think there's there's a little bit um, more of a straight and narrow kind of path that filmmakers go with most of the time when they create a war film, and to have war and incorporate it like you said in the beginning and end in kind of a traditional sense and then have all this mess in the middle that can be tough it yeah. really can be tough and so. glorious bastards is kind of a good you know that's obviously a martin scores or uh, uh quentin tarantino yeah. movie so that's that relies you know on sharp dialogue uh-huh. and great writing and just you know back and forth between characters the writing isn't anywhere near <laughs> yeah i mean i just gave you like eight cliches that they <laughs> yeah. said um yeah. but it's you know it, it it's not like your traditional war film so i do think that it separates itself from the the jumble a little bit in that way like i said it's it's a good time you, you won't hate it if you go watch it and it's it's kind of fun all right, well, hey, so uh, not to leave the listeners hanging, you wanted to tease something before we wrap this thing up. Yeah, well, this was your idea, Evan, so you're Mr. Uh, you know, <laughs> Santa Claus over there, so why don't you tell us well, what, what your I mean, grand idea was for the next pod? I thought it would be fun to, uh, to do a show or a pod before Christmas to count down our top three favorite Christmas movies of all time. I we guess, know you're unreliable, though, so we yeah, won't hold you to that. Well, no, no I'm going to try to get back before Christmas and do another pod. But it'll be done in some capacity, hopefully with me, um, ideally with me, and maybe with you, obviously with you, and maybe somebody else. But um, I guess I will wait until the pod, but one question I would like to talk about when we do talk about this is certain films, are they really a Christmas movie or are they not? Yeah. No, we let's can talk in, about let's that. Let's get into the diehard argument that everyone oh, likes to argue on social media. Home Alone? Media. Yeah, whether or not die, Home Alone, yes. But we'll, we'll talk about this later. Okay, sure. But anyways, yeah, so next pod, uh, we're going to rank our top three Christmas movies of all time. We'll obviously keep watching some stuff. A lot of stuff coming out in theaters. So I'll, I'll probably touch on a couple reviews uh, of new stuff that I've seen, too. Um, but we appreciate everyone listening. Before we sign off, we want to remind you how to get in touch with us one more time. We are the Second Day Film Podcast. 
go ahead and search us on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud. Those are kind of the big four. You can email us at secondayfilm at gmail.com. And always, we're looking for new contributors, new people that come on, want to come on and uh, give us their take on movies, new and old. Um, but yeah, we appreciate you listening. This is pod number 24. So we're All right. We're, uh, we're Two getting, dozen. Yep, we're getting on there, and we're going to keep chugging along. Um, but again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the movies.